we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, ah, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck ups? Oh, shit. I'm back in the garage. I feel like I've only been home a couple days in the last couple weeks. I just got back from Boston. Boston, Massachusetts. Mac! Hey, Mac! Yeah, that's right. You know who you are. Jimmy Kimmel is on the show today, and I'm going to be on his show tonight. It's not a simulcast, but he's here on my show today, and I'm on his show tonight. I will be at Sketchfest in San Francisco this weekend. I'm going to do plugs, people. And I said to my girlfriend, Jessica, I said, uh, oh, man, there's so many plugs. And she said, at least they're not on your head. Good call. Sometimes when I do advertising or when I plug myself, you do realize, folks, that this show is free. Every episode is free for six months. The most recent 50 episodes are free. You got to let me try to make a little money without being too judgmental. But I'm going to plug myself here. I will be at San Francisco at Sketchfest. Go to their website, uh, sfsketchfest.com. But I'm going to do a bunch of shows up there. On February 3rd, I'm doing a storytelling show at 8. I'm doing a live WTF up there at Cobbs with Jeff Bolt, Pete Holmes, Will Durst, Lorraine Newman, and Arden Mirren. February 4th, I'm doing stand-up with Jen Kirkman at Cobbs. And I'll also be doing the Bring the Rock show, so I'm going to sing again. Thinking about doing a blaster song. So that'll be fun. That's a lot of stuff to do. Did I mention Jimmy Kimmel's on the show? I'd like to thank all the what the fuckers for coming out to the shows at the Wilbur in Boston. They were great shows. Had a great time. Thank you for hanging out. Thank you for saying hi. Thank you for the cookies. Holy shit, major bake sale in the Marin Hotel room the night after that show. Man, that was crazy. Someone made me these peanut butter cookies with Hershey Kisses in the middle that were insane. Usually I just eat a couple of them. We're going to put up the live WTF from Boston with Tony V, Mike Donovan, Frank Santarelli, Jimmy Tingle, and Ken Rogerson this Thursday. It was great. And the live comedy show was great, too. I don't even know what else to say. I'm humbled and grateful that y'all came and that it was a good show. Because it's weird for me. It's weird for me to go back to Boston. Because I was there a long time. And I had this realization that sometimes if you lived in a place where you went through some shit, it's sort of like seeing an ex-girlfriend in, in a way. Because I haven't, I haven't talked to this city in a while I went through some serious shit there, but I could never quite understand my resistance to going back to Boston. And if you think about it, how about I'll think about it? If I think about it, I spent five years undergraduate in college there. I left for about a year and a half and I went back and started doing comedy there. Those are some of the roughest, most difficult, most emotionally traumatic years of my life. I mean, so many firsts happened in Boston. Uh, My first uh, minor sexually transmitted disease, of course, Boston. That would be crabs. That was a very exciting month. Uh, The first time I fell in love, for reals, Boston. That was a disaster. The first time I failed on stage. The first time I tripped on acid. The first time uh, I did a a real play. The first time I wrote poetry uh, in, in earnest. The first time my heart was broken. I went there, an open-minded, frightened, sensitive person i left there uh you know angry uh alcoholic and uh, just furious at the world that was my college education and then i go back and i start doing comedy there 
And most of the history that I don't know if you've experienced this, but most of the history of my past in Boston has just been erased. Kenmore Square, not there. The Ratsko are not there. Most of the rock clubs, not there. It's just been sterilized. I can't walk around and go, oh, this is where I threw up that time. This is where we used to eat pizza. Remember we could get pictures here? Remember? It's gone. They're all gone. It's gone. And then I start to think about, well, how important is it all really? The college years. I mean, they're so far away now. Things start to fade. Things start to lose their relevance. Holy fuck, if I can remember last week, everything's a big blur. It's a big smear on the calendar. Faces coming out of the past. Hey, man, remember me? I don't, but I'll pretend like I do so I don't hurt your feelings. If, would that be okay? If you're My brain at this age has gotten to the point where I've lived in four cities, some of them twice over a 20, 25-year period. If someone comes out of the crowd and says, look at, do you remember me? I'll, try, I'll look at that face, and then I try to put it in context. I try to you know, sync it up with the city, with the period, with the phase of my life. Who are they? How did they fit in? It's a, it's, it's a little scary. The amazing thing is all it takes is one person that you completely recognize that will act as a portal into that period in your life. This woman showed up at the uh, merch table after the show in Boston. I knew immediately who she was. I was like, Judy. And this was a woman that lived in the house that I lived in freshman year of college. When I went to Curry College, it was called the Greenhouse. It was the art dorm. And right when I saw her, everything came rushing back. My weird Colombian roommate named Pedro, who thought he was a composer, who spent a lot of time putting ping pong balls into the back of pianos and then hitting keys and letting the balls bounce around and, you know, thinking he was John Cage. And there was the woman that he was sleeping with named Lauren, who I had a crush on, but I could never, you know, I didn't have any confidence. I didn't know how to get laid so I would just lay in my bed and there was a only a curtain separating our two rooms because it was a house so I'd listen to her and him fucking while I just laid there you know with a crush on the girl who was getting laid in the next room by my roommate who I didn't really get along with because I thought he was silly and me just trying to figure out what the hell I was doing running around with a camera thinking I was a photographer hanging out with my buddy Jim who was angry about the Vietnam War all of this happened it just came back in a rush of one woman saying hello, just a horrible, beautiful, Proustian rush of sexual failure and frustration, <sighs> sleeping with women who were pretty sure they were gay but just needed to check. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah, Boston. But it was good to go back. I'm proud to say that uh, me and my ex, which would be Boston, we went through a lot. But we had some of the best makeup sex I've ever had. And we did it twice. And it was fucking awesome. You lost some weight. Oh, How did you, you got weight? Nicorette going there, huh? Well, I'm always on Nicorette. I haven't smoked in 10 years. Delicious. Yeah, I love it. You smoke? No, aren't you supposed to give Nicorette up eventually? No, I, that's the idea, but uh, they forgot that there's people like me that will just keep eating it. It's just candy with a little extra. I bet they didn't forget. I, I think they knew exactly what they were doing. Yeah. But you lost weight. Did you lose weight? I did lose weight, yeah. See, because I don't know how you did it, but I'm doing that um, four-hour diet thing. The four, what is that? The four-hour uh, body thing. Is that a real thing? Or it's a real thing. It's a lunatic's diet. Steve Ferris, he wrote a book. There's a lot of weirdness in it. There's an entire... Like what? Ch- Tell me about it. 
Well, well all I know is I didn't read the book because I don't need that shit. I okay. don't do math. I'm not, you know, just tell me what I can and can't eat. Is there a website I can punch it into? And I do it. Yeah. So I got that. But then I looked at the book and there was an entire chapter on how to fuck for a long time at the end. So it's a different kind of diet. It's a full body experience. It's actually perfecting the machine. Does that appeal to you at all? It, well, yeah, the end part does, I guess. What's the four hour? It's not four hours of fucking, is it? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't go there. I, I said, why is there a fucking chapter in my fucking diet book? <laughs> See, maybe it was in there by mistake. No, no, it's up purpose so <laughs> what does this guy look like I'd he's weird know. man he's, he's done other podcasts <laughs> I, I don't like when people have like a sexuality you find out about no i don't know what he's up to i just know that you know in order to make the diet he stuck a glucose meter into his stomach like surgically and like monitored what he ate oh. in order to see how fat burns uh-huh. so he's a fucking lunatic but uh this was my cheat day this is what i'm coming around to okay you stay on the diet for six days and then you get a cheat day where you can eat whatever the fuck you want and I didn't push the envelope today. So you didn't? I, no, I didn't. I, I ate ice cream for breakfast. I uh, had a muffin. <laughs> it's not too late, by the way. There's plenty of time to I, eat. I've still got four hours. i got to host an alternative show at the Laugh Factory. You know what? This Does it cut not... off? At, is it like is it a midnight sharp? Well, I'm not the... the I'm a, I'm... I give myself 24 hours from when I woke up. Oh, really? That's so I, what I would do, So yeah. I can just stay up all night and shove shit in my face? Absolutely. How did you lose weight? The regular I, way? Uh, yeah, kind of the regular way. We're here in my office now, and you see those machines I have right there, those sous vide machines? Yeah. Well, what I do is they're like kind of warm water baths, and I make fish in them. I have fish sealed in plastic, and I put the fish in it, and I eat it. I eat the same thing every single day. That's how you do it. Yeah. That's how, you know, that's how people say you should do it. And then I eat a chocolate bar afterwards. <laughs> I have a whole bunch of chocolate bars. What the so hell? I eat so a wait, piece I'm... of fish in a chocolate bar. Oh, okay. So it's a piece of fish. I just pictured there were whole fish in a warm water bath that you killed. I eat a whole these... aquarium full of fish. <laughs> you kill with these machines, <laughs> and then you just take it out well they have to be fresh yeah so what are you talking what do you mean you put a piece of fish tropical fish are the most delicious fit people don't eat them because they're so beautiful but they are they're, they're crunchy great. they're great and they're delicious and you gotta eat healthy. a lot though a lot There's yeah a you lot. have to eat a lot of and them. if you get a lot of different kinds the variety of colors on your plate is wonderful they it? consider me their hitler <laughs> yeah i bet <laughs> So you got everything up here, actually. Yeah, I, I, got, a, we're, I got a whole kitchen here. I didn't even notice what was going on here. The only thing I use, though, is that uh, sous vide machine and the coffee machine. That's it. Oh, you don't use the juicer? Uh, nope. Don't no one, use the juicer. No one does. So I t- I'm taking that home. No the one blender. uses the juicer. Yeah. The blender, blender has... Yeah, a couple of times I've used the blender. No one ever uses those juicers. You know why? Why? Have you had to, tried to clean it? Yeah, that's why. That's that is it's why. The end it's of a it. mess. Yeah, the you do rind. it twice, and you're like, "Fuck this!" And the juice comes out like with, uh, with like comes out murky. It's got it doesn't look like juice. No, nah, but that's a good juicer. Yeah, thank the, you. And uh, ovens and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I uh, let me ask you a question uh, about the last time I ran into you. We were at a <laughs> furniture store, <laughs> and right. I went up to you and I said, "Can I help you?" Was there a moment where you're like? Things are not going well for Mark. He's really working. <laughs> there was not. No, no. <laughs> because most people don't work with a woman. <laughs> most people don't work as a couple. How's that dresser we wanted working out? <laughs> it's a, By the way, it's doing great. Is it's, it? Actually, I should say, there's a weird thing about it. It's yeah. really, it's a nice dresser. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was something you had your eye on and I had my eye on. Yeah. And I beat you to yeah. it. But um, if you put a glass on it, Anything wet, it makes a ring instantly, which me- leads me to believe that it was um, not finished. finished incorrectly. Not finished properly. Not finished. Was it one of those ones that they made for them, or is it an antique piece? I think they took an old piece of furniture right? and refinished it. And they fucked it up. And they didn't put so a So now you got rings on the top of your new thing. Exactly. So now it's garbage. So You've... the joke's on me. It is. It is. And you know what? I knew that. You know, I <laughs> talked to the guy. I said, how's the finish on this? He's not so good. You wait. You'll see. You give it a few months. 
<laughs> that was weird, though. I felt guilty about that. No, it shouldn't. I didn't have the money to pay for it. Okay. I good. just wanted you to feel Perfect. guilty. All right. Um, now, I, you are one of these people that has somehow managed to uh, uh, come through the ranks of show business in a fairly traditional way. You mean a white person? No, I, yeah, oh. it, well, yeah, for white people, yeah. But I mean, you started out as a radio broadcaster, and you seem to do it in this weird old timey way. Have you ever thought of it that way? Right? You started off in radio, yeah, and you made your bones in radio, and then you hosted a couple things on television. Now you're a big host on television. That's how they used to do it in the fifties. Yeah, although that's not real. That wasn't my plan at all. My plan was to stay in radio. And oh, good plan. Just, good, yeah, yeah what, you a got great a plan. good head on your shoulders. Well, you, <laughs> you you can still be there now, moving around every six months. <laughs> yeah, every yeah, every at least once a year I showing up for work and having someone hand you a box and say you can't go on the air anymore but the truth is you know i got a job at k-rock here in los angeles and, ha- and it happened to be los angeles where they make tv shows and people who make tv shows happen to be listening to the show and said hey come in audition for this or do that right but if i'd been in chicago or san francisco or something like that i, I probably would well i probably would be fired from the radio but i would probably i wouldn't be on television but when how did you start i mean what was your what was where'd you you grew up where i grew up in las vegas in las vegas uh, yes but I, your family's from new york my family's from brooklyn originally when, when i was nine we moved to las vegas are you italian i'm a half italian my dad's german irish my mom's italian right and we followed my grandparents out there and my uncle my aunt and my uncle did they go out there for the air uh my dad did my dad has asthma and he wanted to go out there for the air and my mother wanted to go out for her the gambling family <laughs> yeah. no but my grandmother and my aunt went for the gambling really and there they yeah well my aunt's still there gambling really oh yeah she loves video poker i bought her a video <laughs> poker machine for her house to try to save her her retirement fund does it give her money it, it gives her her own money and she stands there policing you if you play the machine because you're not allowed to win <laughs> her money you do not take her quarters home has it curbed her a, a problem i don't think so no it probably is just fueled it so you spend a lot, i can't when i go there i, I find it uh, heartbreaking for some reason i, I spent can't. nine years there well when you're a kid you don't know what's going on at all yeah and um i really i didn't have any sense that it was las vegas i just thought this you was the place i lived right you didn't register the desperate crying people really not know. until i was 18 years old and visited california and told somebody i was from las vegas they're like what you're from las vegas and i was like yeah, I'm from, and I never thought it was weird. But I saw a lot of weird things in Las Vegas growing up. I mean, it's a, it's a very weird, like, yeah. I saw Liberace buying meat at the Mayfair market on the strip. Really? Wearing a hairnet. Oh, yeah? What else was he wearing? A robe? He was, he was wearing some kind of a house coat. <laughs> I saw Sa- <laughs> Sammy Davis Jr. buying pants in the boys' department at Saks Fifth Avenue. You did? Yeah. Did, really? Was he, was he like Sammy? Was he's he- Sammy, and he's tiny. I mean, he was tiny. Yeah, it's hard to know. He could fit right on Frank Sinatra's shoulder if he wanted. That's right. You saw that, though. That's I saw amazing. it. I witnessed it. I had a weird experience in Vegas with my grandmother. It was one of, I've talked about it before, where somehow or another, when I was very little, maybe 10, she found out that Jimmy Durante was staying in our hotel. And she found out his room. And she thought it would be wonderful if I met Jimmy Durante during the day. The guy was 100. So... We go to this hotel room. I didn't know what was going on. She knocks on the How'd door. How did she get his information? Who the fuck knows? <laughs> so my grandmother was a very charming woman. But this 100-year-old man in a tank top with no makeup goes, hello? <laughs> and I'm like, cha-cha-cha-cha? You know, like, <laughs> it was awful. It was an early show business experience. Your grandmother made love to him? Yeah, why well, I sat there, which was weird. <laughs> but it's why I'm a comedian. <laughs> 
It, those are the experiences they shape they you. They define us. Sure. <laughs> that and seeing Jackie Vernon when I was 11. Did, who else did you see there? Did you see anything else weird? Oh, boy. Everything was weird. I mean, you, I would see an Elvis impersonator at least once every three days, which, you know, you don't even... <laughs> just, just out? <laughs> unless you're in Memphis, you don't see that. Yeah, just like eating, you know, because you can't... Sh- when you're an Elvis impersonator, you don't put a wig on to go, you are Elvis you're kind of all the time. <laughs> yeah. Except you're wearing regular clothes and you're at Denny's or something. <laughs> So there's plenty of Elvises around? There were a lot. It seems like there was a lot more back. Now it's all magicians. <laughs> really? Yeah. There's a lot of magicians in Vegas. How can you tell they're magicians? By the way they handle things? Ooh, like their the pets they... disappear. <laughs> they, uh, no, you can tell. But for some reason, something weird happens. I know you interviewed Carrot Top. I think there's some kind of a, a stage um, performer they, thing that goes on. Where they become on. almost plastic. Yeah, they They're, do. They become sort of isolated. They make more money than they ever knew what to do with, yet they cannot leave the desert. They still have to go into that casino. Every day. Every single yeah. day. It's bizarre. It's a hell. And also, I think that from an appearance standpoint, mm-hmm. they they want to be seen easily. Like they, they want the people in the back of the room to be able to see their eyebrows. You think that's intentional? I think it is. I, that, I don't know if they even know it, but I think it is intentional. Yeah, because you get that feeling. I get see, like looking at you, you, you took your makeup off though. Yeah. But I've had that experience when I've done television, especially local television, where the guy who's the local TV host comes out and you just he looks like he has acromegalia. There the yeah. way his makeup is done, you're like those guys, Oh my God. They do dude. their own makeup, which is never a good idea. Some people, I'm very surprised. Some people, and I don't want to mention names, you see them on television, you're like, well, she's lovely. You see them in person, you're like, holy fuck, yeah. is she 100? Yeah. Uh, I don't want to mention names. Okay. Popular talk show host. Really? Mornings. <laughs> national. But, uh, but you know, you seem to look well. How old are you? I'm 43. I'll be 44 in a couple of weeks. So, all right. So you're in Vegas. You're eating breakfast with Elvis impersonators. Yep. Uh, your parents are what? They they, they nice people. They, they good... are nice. They're very nice people. My you, parents. You grew up in a in a healthy, very environment. Healthy. They're still married. Well, it was. I, I mean, it was on paper. It was healthy. It's they're weird. I mean, my parents are very strange. My dad looks just like Wolf Blitzer. You have him on the show, right? Uh, he's on every once in a while. Yeah. He pretends to be Wolf Blitzer. Okay. And people believe it. I mean, that's how much he looks like. Oh, really? He looks so much like Wolf Blitzer that Tom Brokaw saw him on the street and invited him to join them for dinner. <laughs> My dad was too cowardly to go along. I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You you had to go to this. He's like, oh, I got too nervous. <laughs> he doesn't have it in him. My mom is weird, though. My mom... Um, like my mom, one of the things she would do for me and for my sister, who's a comedian, is um, she would pretend to be dead until we cried. When you were a kid? Yeah. When, well, yeah. I wouldn't cry as an adult. <laughs> it doesn't work anymore? I guess I would, but that would be a hell of wait, an acting wait, job. So you would come home and she'd just be laying there? And- no, no. We, she, you know, I think mostly she just wanted a little rest, yeah. and she didn't care if it tortured us, but she'd just lay on the ground, and you know, we'd be like, come on, mama, you know, and eventually it would get to like us hitting her on the forehead, and then eventually crying, and then she'd wake up laughing. She'd finally come back to life, like so, Jesus. Is that, is that where you got your... Uh, your 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 love of pranks. Was I don't the, know. The I guess so. Of, uh, your There's comedy a... career was that my mother used to pretend like she was dead till she cried. I just my mother's it. very sadistic. She used to if I wanted to do something like our band leader Cleto was my my he lived he was my best friend. He grew up we grew up across the street from each other in Las Vegas. Did he become a musician just to be on your show? No, but it was a weird thing that all worked out. I mean, his dad's a musician too, and his dad is in our band as well. But I slept over his house almost every night, and every night my mother would make me 
beg, like again on my knees in front of him and call and pay her what she said, pay her homage, which <laughs> I learned later it's homage or homage or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I had to pay homage. So I would have to get down on my knees and tell her what a great mother she was and just go through this insane she would come over to do that no i'd have to do it at my house and then i'd be able to leave when really sufficiently really and that stopped at what age um probably 15 oh my god (laughs) and she was the italian one yeah oh boy yeah she's uh there's something wrong with her so i well but it, it sounds like it's fairly benign yeah, pretty and, benign. And, and, and kind of funny. There were no beatings. No, no beatings. It was funny for her, you no, know. She didn't call you little man or anything? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But how did you end up, like, not only escaping radio, but how did you start? Why was that the thing? What, what made you want to do that? Um, well, I was working at a clothing store called Miller's Outpost, which you remember that chain? Yeah, we grew up in New Mexico. Okay. Miller's Outpost. I, was that a national or just like a Southwest thing? I think it was I, a Southwestern. Yeah, thing. I remember Miller's Outpost. Like jeans. Levi's, a lot sure. of Levi's. And yeah. there was a guy that worked there who uh, worked at the college radio station. Right. And he thought I was funny, and he asked me if I wanted to do something. And I'd read in a Playboy magazine that David Letterman used to do radio i read in a, an article that and and i said well yeah, i'd like to do that and I, I never thought i'd like to be a late night talk show host and i never even thought there would be an, a late night talk show other than david letterman and johnny carson i just thought well that's you know those are the late night talk shows and they'll do it forever and whatever but um i wanted to somehow you were half right yeah <laughs> i was <laughs> i wanted to be friends with dave somehow and sure. i thought that might be a good way to do so it. so that was your guy though i mean that you, ne- yes. you weren't when you were a kid you weren't like uh, i'm gonna be in show business uh necessarily but you just no. love david letterman i love david letterman I'd, i had my license plate said l8 nite on my car and when was i make book when i was in high school really <laughs> my birthday cake when i was 16 said late night with david letterman the cake really yeah that's bizarre. Yeah, it's weird. I know. So you were watching him like, I, I guess I started watching him in college. Were you, so you were watching him from the beginning? Yeah. He was just too fucking funny. I just, there was something about it that I, I loved. I, I never mentioned it to anyone. I'd watch it every night and I kept quiet about it for about a year. Like it was your secret? Yeah, it was like a little thing. And my grandfather, I wasn't really supposed to be up that late yeah. either. So my grandfather said, hey, do you ever watch this guy Letterman? And I was like, yes, I watched <laughs> Letterman. And it's really, that's the first person I ever discussed the show with. Do you remember how cutting he used to be? Oh yeah, well he's still it's still Bruce, right? But like he's he's gone through these weird arcs where like I think he's gotten a lot more soul since the heart attack, and he seems a little more fragile and vulnerable, but still cutting. But early on, I and I don't even know if it's a real memory that I have, but I think it is. He had some guest on there who had written a book about being in the mob and it, it or, or something, and, and had suggested in the book that you know he had been part of of murders or knew of them. And the guy was going on and on of talking about how he converted to Christianity. And Dave said, we don't want to hear about that. Tell us about the people you killed. <laughs> that, I mean, that, that's, he used to do that shit all the time. There you was, know what I think? I, I think that that's a luxury you had when there were only two talk shows and they were both on NBC. And right. now that there are a billion publicists and there's competition. And if you piss somebody off, they'll pull 20 guests off your show and take them all over to Leno. I don't think you can. Uh, I, I don't think you're as able to do that sort of thing anymore so the politics are the thing now but let's get to that in a second so you get on the you get on radio and that's your you liked it i loved it it was the it's still great you know uh, it's the greatest it's the greatest i did this little talk show on kunv the college radio station where i would just go through the yellow pages and find people who seemed 
silly. Like they, there was a guy who called himself the hairstylist to the stars. Yeah. And so I called him up and I said, would you like to be on my radio show? And of course he, he wanted to. And he came down and the only star whose hair he had ever styled was John Davidson. So I talked to him for like 30 minutes about styling John Davidson's hair. And, and I'd have local like guys that did local commercials. You're like they, the Joe Franklin of college I radio. really was. I was like a little Joe. <laughs> And these guys would come in, and people love to be interviewed. You yeah. know, they're thrilled by this idea. Yeah. And they'd come in, and I'd interview, like, uh, this guy Fred, who did local car commercials, and he barely spoke English, and all these yeah. characters. And so things. you're like the, uh, the, the, the Studs Turkle of the, uh, the, the clownish downtrodden. Yes, the 112-pound <laughs> Studs Turkle. <laughs> so now, okay, so then you decide to go into, like, because regular radio is a bitch. And I mean, and I don't know how it's much It's a you- hard life. Yeah, so how much of that did you live? I mean, once you 12 got years. So you got out of college and you got uh, what kind of show? My first paying radio job I'd done, I worked for free in Phoenix for a while, was in, at KZOK in Seattle. It was a classic rock station. I was 20 years old. I'd just been married. and So I was, you swept up there with the radio dream. You were going to be yep. what, the afternoon guy or the morning guy? Morning guy. It was the me and him show. It was yeah. me and a guy named Kent Foss. Who was the laugher? Uh, we didn't really have we. In fact, this Had that show been established yet. If you yeah. listen to this show, there's more silence on this show than any radio show you've ever heard because we just sit there like we'd say something and then sit there and contemplate it. And in a way, it was kind of great, but it was also terrible. There was yeah. no pacing and there was yeah, no yeah. you know none yeah, of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. But we were fired there after ten months, and then I was out of work for almost a year. Which was awful. I had when, to when they back fired you, were they, when they fired you, was it like uh, now you can't come in the office? Oh that, yeah, we were escorted out by security yeah. after your show. A- yeah, after the show, every, that's how it always worked. And there was no bad blood. It was just the way. There, it no, went. there was a tremendous amount of bad blood that lives to this day. Really? <laughs> oh yeah, we had good ratings too. We we did, they just What'd really you do? didn't like what us. What the hell happened? We did a lot of things. Um, one of the th- my partner wrote the words "fuck you" on the bottom of his shoes, and he would just put them up on our program director's desk whenever we. Oh, that kind of shit. It's silly stuff. Like, but we, you know, what we did is we'd secretly tape the staff meetings and then play the funny parts back on the air, and I would cut like little pictures of my general manager's head and I put it on a naked body and put it on the cover of the company newsletter and distribute it to everyone. Things that I thought were funny and would be seen as funny and, oh, isn't Jimmy funny? But they didn't, you know, these are grown men and I was this kid who was fucking with them and they didn't like it. That's That's the spirit of radio, though. It was because I made the mistake of listening to Howard Stern and thinking that I could, I too could do that, and it would be applauded. But it was not applauded. So, like, so that was the uh, the shift. You know, you ha- you always liked Letterman, but Stern was a big influence. Howard and David Letterman, yes. T- my uncle Vinny would send me uh, tapes of the Howard Stern show when he was the afternoon guy at WNBC, uh-huh. and I would listen to. I'd only get one tape every six weeks or so, but I'd listen to it. Over and over and over and over again. And every time the tape would end, I'd just have a moment of despair. But I'd then listen to it again and over and over, and I just loved it. Because it just, he's so ballsy. It was just so insane to me. And it was so different than anything we got in Las Vegas. (laughs) I mean, just just like the racism and the the anger and all these things that I really had previously only heard in my house. So the bad blood still still exists. Oh, I still carry grudges against people. Oh, not them, though. There's not a program director in Seattle saying, Kimmel will pay. Um... No, I don't think there is a program director. I think there's still a general manager out there who uh, who d- doesn't like me, but 
Uh, but oh yeah, I I had a. And you have grudges too. Oh yes, oh yes. I'm the most spiteful. It's what fuels me more than anything. Really? Yeah, it does. It, really I, does. I, it used to fuel me a lot too, but like it never seemed to get me to where you are. <laughs> well, there <laughs> is, you know, there's a lot of luck involved. There really, I can like, like isolate moments in my life where it was like, oh, that happened. That that you know, I I just remember like the program director of K Rock, which is a big station here in L A, came to Tampa to the radio station I was working at. We happened to go out to like dinner that night and dinner dinner turned into a whole night and turned into like breakfast and to like four o'clock in the morning and afterwards afterwards he's like wow this guy's really funny you know and and he hired me at k-rock based on hanging out with him at a diner that night that's awesome yeah but so like how driven by sparta are you do you have a list are you nixon no you know what it's it's um at this point it's almost it's silly you know but I just I try to be nice to people and in general and when people were um, you know they don't really I think people don't realize what an impact they have on your life I mean there are people who decide they have a grudge against you and you wind up getting fired because of you know because they engineer it or they want it to happen yeah. you know I was a married guy I had a little kid I had two little kids how then. the hell did that happen at twenty is that just Catholic? from fucking no. I... <laughs> No, no. Actually, I had my um, daughter when I was 24. I got married when I was 20. Yeah. And then my daughter... Who the hell gets married at 20? My parents did, so I don't know. It seemed like a good idea. I, you know, really, like, I never really had a girlfriend, and I thought, I better get married because there's a good possibility I'm going to look back on this. It's never going to... Sex will never strike again. (laughs) And so I got married, and... uh, You have grown kids. Yeah. My kids are in college. That's insane. Yeah. And they're, they're good? Yeah, they're very good. You they're get along with their mother. I do get along with their mother. Yes, I mean we had we had our time where we so, didn't. I'm sure mostly while we were married. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now it's it's fine. So you take these kids. So you get fired out of that job, and then like with and then what happens? Where where the journey lead? Moved back to Phoenix. Packed a 26 foot moving truck with our Pontiac oh Grand Am. Was your family in back. Phoenix at that time? My family had moved to Phoenix, and um, I spent a lot of time there. My brother's in Phoenix. Oh really? Yeah, my parents still live. There's there. something really horrible but really great about it. I agree with you completely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you like, get out there and you're like, God, the space here is great, but oh, it's awful. Every one of these malls looks exactly the same. Everything is brown. It, you have to be a lizard to live here. But then you pull in the parking lot of a Best Buy and the, the spots are so big and you go, this is oh, great. Why awesome. can't we have big parking spots? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> bring those. But I moved back in with my parents there and I was there for almost a year. I got a job in Tampa, Florida, which is the worst oh, place I ever lived. Oh, Tampa, Florida is horrendous. The failing Ebor district. The Ebor district, yeah. There's an improv in, there. I can't. It's just. Uh. My car was stolen and we were burglarized in the first two days that I lived there. And um, I lived there for almost a year, was fired from that job. Then I got a job the day I was How, fired. Why were you fired there? Uh, general misbehavior. Again? Again with the, you know. <laughs> I just didn't have a sense of myself that like, you know, I mean, I really, I was a, a very skinny kid who probably looked five years younger than I actually was. Were you big in the market there though? Was your show successful? No, we weren't successful there. And we, we were, I was the morning show producer at that and I did characters and that sort of thing on the air. You're the goofy guy. Yeah, I was like the You're the guy on the phone guy. like, uh-oh, Joey's on the phone. I am. I do the Mike Tyson imitations oh, okay. and, you know, all that sort of stupid stuff. 
And then uh, the day I got fired there, I got a job, thank God, in Palm Springs, where I worked for 18 months, where Carson Daly um, was a kid there who I made my intern. He was 17 years old at the time. And he You're responsible for that? Air. I'm responsible for that. And you feel okay about I it? I feel perfectly fine with it. You see it. a future for that kid? <laughs> I, I, the future has happened. Yeah. He's, uh, you know, he's, he, he's done very well for himself. I, by the way, I know everybody makes fun of Carson, but I... I nicest guy in the world no no one will say that any different than that yes they will for some reason people think he's a douchebag the opposite of a douchebag and um i you know i mean i think he's a very natural on-air personality i did when i was a when i was a kid he was a kid i just like this kid is good on the radio i think a lot of people say like that carson daly gee he seems like a nice guy no, people say he seems like a douchebag, and and he's like a punching bag for some reason. Well, he's but. a punching bag because he's. Uh, I think that the general consensus is he can't really deliver a joke, and he doesn't seem to have much personality. Yeah, but he's not a comedian, is the thing, and and the personality thing. I think most of those people, uh, you know, I for me, I'm very sensitive about it because, well, first, I mean, I love the guy. I you really invented don't. him. You invented I, Carson. Yeah, I think of him as a, a little brother, but but also I just think that most of those people don't actually evaluate what he does. They they've not actually watched him in an unbiased way and 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 seen him because i mean he's a very good broadcaster he does good interviews i mean he's likable on air and that, that i mean that's a talent did you use him on the radio yeah he was my sidekick on the radio so he was the laughing guy i know i fucked with him all the time he was oh. a kid and he told me he never had never masturbated and i just was obsessed with that with that notion that he'd never masturbated and ha- was he telling the truth I think so. I mean, I would interrogate him about it almost every day. And that was that was the theme. That was fun getting, for me. Getting Carson to masturbate. He, uh, we would, uh, we'd have lunch together every day. He was starving, really. Like, like I'd give him five dollars for lunch every day. That was his pay. He worked yeah. for free otherwise. And I, you know, I was only making twenty thousand dollars at the time. But um, uh, I mean, we, you know, we do stupid stuff. I friends out now. And, yeah, we're still friends. Yeah. Who are your buddies in show business right in now? In show business, Adam Carolla. Yeah, yeah, Carson. I, I just did his show. Yeah, I. You know, it's weird because I um like I always assume that you guys. I always drew these lines, <laughs> you know, like that. Those are those guys, guys, and then there's me, the uh, uh-huh. the hypersensitive, neurotic, angry guy who's got to convince people he's smart to get any pussy. But these guys just have to have a car, right? Uh, that, those were the two camps. And no, you couldn't be more wrong about either one of us. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's what I learned over time. Like, because I, I see, I used to watch the Mad Show and I'd be like, these guys are just these guy guys. <laughs> I get it. I get what they are. Yeah. But like lately, I've grown to uh, to really admire. Um, Oh, sorry, that's my, my cell phone ringing. It's the sound of a baby laughing. But I've grown to admire both of you because uh, you're, you're really not that. And like, and I do Adam's live shows sometimes. Yeah. And, and it's very interesting. When you listen to someone on the radio, you see them on television, uh, you know, you, 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 they have a certain on-air personality that you sense with your ears or you hear. But when you're standing in front of somebody and then you really see the person, it's like, he's not that guy. He likes to entertain. And he's, he's a, a lunatic. Great, yeah. And he's, he's, lun- and he's got a great gift of, of wrapping shit, you know, tying things together. That's his great gift. It's like, he'll start somewhere and then you're like, where the fuck is this going? And then at the end, it's like, and that's like the thing at the beginning I said. He takes you on a journey and you can't imagine that there's any way he's going right. to pay it off. Right. And then he pays it off. Every single time he's, you know, he's a guy that I met. He was my boxing instructor when I was at K-Rock and um, he's just a guy. I had a, an on-air fight with another guy on the show and we needed boxing instructors. So he came to the show looking to train the other guy and I happened to run into him in the hall and he said, yeah, I'll train you to be uh, to box. And 
we hit it off and we just we really didn't do any training we just sat there and drank snapples and talked for hours and we would we really fell in love i mean we would go to lunch together and, yeah. and we talk for three hours every day yeah and eventually it just was like we, we really need to do something because this is a terrible waste of time was he a good boxing instructor yeah he's a very good boxer yeah he don't he knows so he's kind he's of doing. a guy's guy yeah well he's definitely i mean he can build a house he can, he can do yeah. all those things yeah. but can you uh no i can't really do anything you know. <laughs> Like, I, I cook. I'm more of a guy's woman. <laughs> Good. Uh, so that makes me feel better. All right. So wait, Palm Springs. How does that crap out? That um that it was actually that ended okay. Palm Springs was okay. I mean, it was a tiny radio station. Uh, the electronic equipment was made in Mexico. I've never seen Mexican electronics before. Oh we had God. an Arrakis board. That was the brand Arrakis. <laughs> in fact, the equipment was so shitty that during the the songs. And during the commercials, you know, normally you could turn the, you, you, you know, pop the mic down. Yeah. You had to be quiet because the mic never really went off. So during the commercials, you had to either leave the room or be quiet or <laughs> everyone could hear you right. talking. <laughs> oh, fuck. And uh, so that, I didn't get fired there. I yeah. got a job in Tucson doing mornings in Tucson, Arizona. That's another, that's a pretty good city. Yeah, it was good. It was, it, it was I mean, pretty. My was, brother went to college here. There's a lot of natural beauty there, but um, it yeah. was, you know, I got fired there, so I don't have what great you memories. Do? Same thing. Same thing every single time, really. Were there events? I mean, did you like, did you cross a line? Did you take pictures? Our program director was the, was the midday guy. So he came on the air after we did. Yeah. Almost every day, I would switch out his commercials with sound effects. I would, I mean, I just, I tormented this guy. I really, I'd call his wife on the air all the time and, you know, like find out what her, because I felt like she was running the st- radio so station. Really, that was really the stern model. I, I guess I, I didn't. I, every time Did you I love doing that, I, I love it. I fucking loved it. It's my, I love it. You're like a prank guy. I like making people mad. I love it. I, it, it, it tickles me to no end. You have no guilt when you hurt somebody. It's not about. I don't think it hurts them. I never. I always think really. It's just, ultimately, it's so funny that it overwhelms. I don't think it really ever. I never. I'm hurtful, but I, it's teasing. You know, it's it's relentless teasing. I okay. Mean, yeah. Okay. There's another word for that. But you never. You never. <laughs> <laughs> but you never, you've never had a, a situation where you had to go apologize because you understand. Broke. My mother pretended to be dead I until it. I cried. I so I, I'm it. Up. I know that, but you never yeah. got yourself to a situation. Apologize? Where- yeah, I mean, I think I probably apologize, but you know, I, that doesn't mean I wouldn't have done it again. If right? You, I mean, but you're I, more the kind of guy that's sort of like, come on, I mean, like, go, come on, it's funny. Yeah, yeah, look at look you. at how hard I'm laughing. So you got poop on your head. What are <laughs> you trying to think of the joy you're bringing me? <laughs> yeah, you selfish fuck. Right, you yeah, look how much I'm having a good time. Yeah, but um, yeah, and so I got fired there. And well, just to give me an idea, my my program director actually said these words. He said, "I love corporate rock." Mm, that, <laughs> said, really? Isn't that um, isn't that a, uh, yeah, that, a term that, people use? A derisive term? That yeah, it's, not, use? it's not a good. No, thing. I don't care. I love it. <laughs> like, all right, great. <laughs> so I got fired there, and then. Thank God I got a job at K-Rock, which is the best radio station in the United States. It was like a miracle for me. I mean, I, I forced myself on Kevin and Bean, the morning host there. Yeah. And um, and they, I mean, when I showed up for work, because their boss had hired me, I showed up at the radio station, and they, said, they looked at me, and they didn't know what I was doing there. They said, oh, they hired you? And keep in mind, this is a staff of five. You know, yeah. there are five people working on this show, so it's a big deal to add somebody. Nobody bothered to tell them that I'd been hired. So and was it that weird? My tension? heart sank. I was just like, "Oh no, this is going to be another." 
I can't do this anymore. You know, I got two kids. I got to make this work. I have to behave myself. And I, for the most part, did behave myself. But it was easier because I wasn't one of the main hosts. I was the sports guy, and I did characters on the show and wrote material for them. And they loved you. They love me, yeah. That's where I met Adam. And then how? And then what happened with you two? You came up with the Man Show later, though, because Adam. When did he do Love Lines? Adam did Love Line. He was doing a character on the Kevin and Bean Show called Mister Bertram. It was a shop teacher character, uh-huh. and it became very popular. And then they had him kind of sit in on Love Line with Doctor Drew, and Doctor Drew loved him, and it just really worked. And in a way, he kind of leapfrogged ahead of me. He'd only been at the radio station for a year. I'd been in radio for you know, like seven years at that time. And all of a sudden, he was named the host of Loveline. So it was it was a little bit weird, you know. And, and you were buddies by then. Yeah, we were very close friends, you know. And there, been, has there been sort of competition? No, we're not competitive at all. We're really not competitive. Yeah. I, I, I'm I, with people I like. I'm not like that at yeah. all. And um and he became the host of Loveline, and which gave him some credibility. And then they made Loveline into a TV show. And somewhere around that time, I was hired to work on Win Ben Stein's Money, a game show on Comedy Central. And that was where most people, I think, like nationally saw you. Yeah, I mean, that was the first thing I ever. It was did a weird thing, you know, like because it was sort of like as a comic, and you know, in the world that I run in, they're like, who, you know, who's this? Who's this guy? Where did he come it's from? Funny, because that's what uh, my ex girlfriend Sarah said. She was like, when she saw, she's like, who is this guy? Yeah, you know? well, that's what we all said. It's it, like, isn't that this is a? There should be someone we know there. Yeah, and you just came out of nowhere, just this guy. Yeah, doing well, that I, job. I didn't know anybody because I went to bed at nine thirty at night every night. Well, morning radio is the worst, the dude. Yeah. It's the worst. Oh, you never get used. I to did it. it for a year and a half, and it just fucks your life up. It's terrible. Yeah, I, I used to say you walk around feeling like you've just been in a really long pillow fight. You're yeah. just like numb. You can't function. The worst is when you take a nap and you have two alarm clocks a day. Oh yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, is that how you did it? Because like you know, there's a couple yeah. ways to do it. Either you run it all the way through and just fucking suck it up. Or you do the two-hour nap. I'd take a nap a few days a week. I had to. I, There's know. nothing worse than being a, like frightened to your core of 10 p.m. Like oh, that, yeah. Like that where you're like you're looking at that clock and you're like, no, I can't. I got it. It's got, I got to go to sleep now. It's, well, I lived in Seattle. It was still light at 10 o'clock in the summer, and you'd have to go to sleep while kids were playing outside. Oh, how'd, you, how'd your kids deal with that? Your, your daddy's got to go to bed? Well, the kids were in bed by you know, yeah. 7, 30, 8 o'clock anyway. So, okay, so Ben Stein's money, you had to put up with that freak, you know, on a day-to-day basis. I love Ben Stein. Yeah, he's a smart guy. Love, I love him. Really was very good to me. I yeah. mean, it, they, I was mistreated very badly when I first started there, and he put his foot down and really, like, He's an odd guy. I mean, yes. like, in terms of what he's done with it in his life and what he's willing to do, he's very conservative. Didn't he write speeches for Nixon or something? And He did. He was a junior speechwriter for Nixon, and his dad worked in the Nixon administration. He right. was uh, one of his economic advisor uh-huh. and um he yeah he's he's had some life i mean he just kind of got discovered in hollywood and wound up you know he was writing and norman lear discovered him they were very good friends and he ended up i the, the, i remember him from ferris bueller but and i don't then know ferris if... bueller was his first on camera thing all right so okay so you're at comedy central and you're doing the ben stein thing and then what you pitch the man show is that how that worked yeah, well, Adam and I wanted to do a radio show together. That was our, our, our goal. And, in fact, there was a talks, an FM talk station, KLSX, at the time. And so we went to them and said, you know, we love being at K-Rock, but we love to do our, our own thing, and we'd love to do this show together. And Adam would continue doing uh, Loveline. And um, the general manager at K-Rock said he didn't see me as an on-air guy. I was a behind-the-scenes guy. And he said no. And, the radio guy. Yeah, and so we weren't allowed to do a radio show together, but then we pitched this idea for the man show 
And it was instantly, uh, we sold it in the room. We sold it to ABC originally. And they, they were like, we want it. We want to do it. And it was right there in the room. Yeah. And of course, there was no way they were putting that on the air. You know, it was like, and they showed it to everyone at the network. They're like, what the fuck is this? We're not putting this on ABC. And you keep in mind, this is, you know, this is 13 years ago. And now you could maybe see some version of that on television with the way things have gone, you right. know. But this is a pre fear factor world, you know. That, I mean, I think ABC was still showing the wonderful world of Disney on Saturday nights. Probably, yeah. So, um, so we uh, we made the pilot, and after we made the pilot, it, ABC passed on it. A bunch of cable networks were interested in it, and Comedy Central made us a a great offer. And I liked everyone there from working there, and so that's where we did the show. How how did it transfer over to Rogan and Stanhope? I mean, how did that happen? I got this show and had to leave the man show and I was ready to leave any anyway. Adam and I were, were so ready to leave because our audience would show up. It was like a tailgate party. I mean, they'd, they'd camp out to get in the show all day. Everybody would come in drunk. And the moment I knew it was over was when Adam said, Adam was ma- telling a story, making fun of um, one of his, when he was growing up, his friend's dad said, Hey guys, opinions are like assholes. Everyone has one. And he was saying it to make fun of the guy. And the audience roared with laughter. <laughs> like they'd never heard it before. And I, I just was like, I got to get out. We, this is enough. Enough with this. So we decided we can't do this anymore. But you wanted to keep the show on the air? We didn't want to keep the show on the air. Comedy Central and the producers wanted to keep the show on what the was air. Your, what was your feeling? We had nothing to do with the... With well, what the, was your feeling about it? Well, it was weird. I mean, it was like like uh, somebody dating your girlfriend or something. I mean, yeah. I wrote the theme song. I drew the logo. I, you know, I mean, and you had no control over that. I stuff. had no control over it because I mean, it was a change of tone. Because it it, it, there seemed to be there's something about it's even like when when Bill Maher was on Comedy Central before he went to HBO with uh, Politically Incorrect originally that there was something about you know honoring a line about what will and won't be done you know in the tone of the show and i think you guys had sort of a line for us it was a goof you right. know and right. i think the um mandate when we left is was to make it like harder edged right and i think that was a mistake i mean we had you know an oompa band was our band and when when we left they changed it to rock music and right. it was more like a strip club than a comedy club you know right. it, was, it was it was more it's more that ugly kind of rapey side of guys than uh, than what we were. I mean, we were goofing around. I, mean, right, I was a right. married guy with two kids, and yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, mistakes were made. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Yeah. And by the way, not and, and I, I don't mean when I say that I don't mean Joe and Doug because I right. think they're both very talented. Yeah, guys. yeah, definitely. And and I just think that. The producers we were working with were dying for us to leave so they could take it into their own hands and do what they what they want because we had creative control over the show. Well, that's and, uh, it's interesting, like that story about Ken Kesey. You know that story about Ken Kesey? No, that he had written uh, he'd written Cuckoo's Nest uh-huh. and uh, he sanctioned he okayed the stage play of Cuckoo's Nest. So then they they took the stage play and somehow through convoluted ways, you know, got the rights to make a movie not from Kesey. And he was asked once whether or not he'd seen the movie he said if a couple of hell's angels came to your house and knocked on the door and said hey we're raping your daughter out front you want to come out and watch would you go <laughs> i mean there's got to be it's some so feeling. different the book as yeah, even just the, and the movie's the redhead. great i mean just yeah. start yeah it's a great great movie but but yeah i could understand so different from oh the yeah book. yeah the poetry of it but yeah. like i wouldn't it, put a, i wouldn't put us on that level but uh <laughs> but but he must know. be he much had some sense of that i mean was there frustration about it that because you know what we're happy that we were able to move on we suggested that you know we said hey listen if you guys are going to keep doing the show 
let us produce the show and let us hire the new hosts and let us pass the torch and make for a, a smooth transition. But the producers did not want that. They wanted to do it. And, you know, had, had they'd still be probably making money off of that show had they done that because the audience resented the new hosts immediately. I mean, it's, you know, they become familiar with us. And right. we were obviously very close friends. We had... A real chemistry right. on air, and and it it just I mean they were doomed from the get go. So this show now, like I read um, the War for Late Night mm -hmm. when you started doing the show you're doing now. I mean, do you feel like you are you comfortable? You, you're going to survive. You've, you're the last man standing in some way. Well, we've been on for nine years. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's it's funny because nobody thought we would last this long, and. People ask me if I thought we would last this long, and I, I just don't think that way. I, you know, I don't think nine years ahead. I just, for us, it was like drowning at the beginning. I mean, the first few years were just like, just get the show on the air. You know, the and show, you were taking some hits too. Oh yeah, yeah. But you know, that was the least of our problems taking hits. I mean, we, you know, the show was live. I mean, there were many days where at five o'clock we did not have a guest. There was no lead because guest. you got shut out. We just weren't planning ahead. We just were not. You, mean you didn't have a guest booker. We had guest bookers, but we, you know, sometimes you don't get a guest, and you keep kind of, you know, hoping that oh, you know, we're we're hoping this one will come through, hoping this, and a lot of times they don't come true. And I, I just through, and I, I remember just like calling, like, okay, well, we got to call Adam, we got to call Sarah, we got to call Kathy Griffin, we got to call David Allen Greer, you know, all these people that kind of like saved us through that time. Ben Stein was another guy, and it kind of became a joke. Like what the? In fact, I remember seeing somebody write a joke version of our weekly schedule, and it was like Adam Carolla, Sarah Silverman, <laughs> David Allen Greer, Ben Stein. You know, and it just kind of went the same. But thing. you don't think that was political? No, I don't think it was political. No, because I, I mean, like when you read that book, I mean, you come off, you know, whether or not it's just years of being in the business. I mean, you're you're very savvy as to the you know the the political landscape of television at this point. Well, I mean, I think you know, listen, I be, I mean, there's obviously people are competitive. I mean, the Tonight Show is competitive. They did not want us to succeed. I mean, they of course they still don't. We don't want them to succeed either. You know, I I understand that, and they threw their weight around as much as they possibly could, and they kept people off of our show. And, but I understand it. I mean, that's kind of that's what is done. You know, it's it's brutal, but that's that's how people do it. But for us, it was really more about. Um, being disorganized than anything. And now, like, you feel um, relatively secure? Yeah, no, I feel very secure, yeah. I mean, I feel as secure as I've ever felt in my life. Because the show's got its own following, it's got its own, you know, definition, it's not like the yeah. other shows. And, you know, yeah. ultimately, what they look at is we make money for them, you know, and as long as we're making money for the network, they're not going to take us off the air. And you guys are you're doing well with numbers and everything? Yeah, we're doing well. Now, when you look back at, at that, the, the Conan debacle, when you look at what happened with Conan, you know, do you feel that he made the right decision? As far as the right decision leaving Did NBC? He, yeah. Um, I don't really know. I don't think anybody will know. I don't think you can know if he made the right decision or not because you don't know, you don't have the other side of the story, like what would have happened. All I know is if I was him and I was asked to follow a half-hour Jay Leno monologue, I would be very unhappy. I mean, I think that just from a, just from a, just kind of natural standpoint, like, you know, it's just unnatural. It's an unnatural way to have to do your show. It was all, it, you know, it became, uh, it, it seemed embarrassing, and there was pride involved, and, you know, and Jay, like that, when you went on that show, and, and you spoke truth to power there, 
that night where where he didn't know where you sort of blindsided him with with right. that with your attack on him. I mean, that was so fucking beautiful. I remember watching it and thinking like, oh, something real is happening. <laughs> and did you like how prepared were you to do that? Well, I was I was pretty prepared to do it. Um, did you feel the juice of it? I oh mean, yeah. Did, oh, I was I was fired up after. I mean, I I walked out of that room very quietly, and I was just like, "That is going to be crazy. <laughs> this is going to be." But and I have a very good understanding of how things work. Like you know, it was ten. There were ten questions, so they could not edit any of it out because there had there had to be 10 questions and i let everything you know i just kind of played along kept talking and talking and talking but you know but in fairness though i didn't want to do it like that the questions that they came up with i i pleaded with them not to ask me these stupid generic questions i said listen people want people want us to talk about what's going on it they wanted to briefly address it at the top and then move on to questions like have you ever had a lap dance you know and i said nobody I don't want to be involved in it. I don't want to brush past all this stuff. I mean, I'd been on the air yeah, not two nights this. earlier making fun of Jay. I was dressed as Jay. My band leader was dressed as, as his band leader. We lampooned him for the whole show, and then we were just going to kind of ignore so it. So let's like, we'll paint the picture again exactly what was happening. He was still in the 10 o'clock place. He was still in the and, 10 o'clock place. But you slot. knew, but it, was, it became clear to everybody you know, in the late night landscape that NBC was about to pull the plug. On Conan, um, or that it was being talked about. Yes, exactly. Yeah, he's of your generation. He deserves the show. He was not given the uh, the the proper amount of time. He was not given I a agree. chance. Yes. So so you know going into this that Jay was trying to to make it look good for him. He wanted you to be a team player. Yes, he did. And uh, and yeah, you, did you talk to him? He called me after I imitated him the next day, and he's like, "Yeah, that was funny. That was funny." I was like, "Oh, good. Well, I'm, I'm glad he thought it was funny." I'm like, "No, I know he didn't think it was funny, but uh, I was willing to go along with that." But I was actually at our sitting at the table with the writers, our morning writers meeting, and my assistant came in and said, "Jay Leno's on the phone." I was like, "Oh Christ!" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, right. this is the not fun part of it. And I went in. I was like, "Fuck!" And then I took the call, and uh, you know, he was a good sport about it, or whatever. But you love doing that. I mean, because like in my mind, like doing even even knowing when you were attacking Jay, doing an impression that it was is sort of an acceptable format. You know, you're doing an impression, but right. you know, it's got teeth. But you get a charge out of doing that. You knew I it do. was going to fucking you know put it right up his ass. Everything makes him crazy. Yeah. Of course, it was going to make him crazy. Right. Yeah. All right. So he calls you trying to say like, hey, like yeah, 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 it was funny and yeah. funny, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, we talked for a few minutes and yeah. then he hung up. And then an hour later, the producers called and said, hey, would Jimmy be um, our guest on 10 at 10? And I just kind of went like, well, you know, Jay's being a good sport about it. I, I guess I'll be a good sport about it and I'll do the 10 at 10, you know. And but I assuming that that was going to be all 10 questions would be about that, you know, about real things. And then I got on the phone with the producer and just the questions were nonsensical. There were questions you could ask any guest ever. You know, yeah. they're just like, you know, the, what kind of breakfast cereal do you eat? And I, I didn't want to be a part of that. And I, I realized like, please, we you know, this is not this is not going to be good. And then I had a moment where I realized I'm going to look like a dick here if, if I sit here and go along with the stupidity with and, the tension that was building yeah. in, a, in a tabloid way. With the elephant that was, right, you know, right. not in the room, but, you know, sitting on our heads at the time, you know. And, um, you know, I wanted to talk about that. And I understand why they didn't want to, because I guess it was a no-win situation right. for them. But And maybe the die had already been cast. I don't know what the situation was at that time behind the scenes. But I just was like, fuck it. I'm just I'm going to talk about it. No matter what the questions they ask me, I'm going to bring every question back to that. 
Right, but you, I mean, it got to the point where you actually said, why don't you get out of the way? I mean, didn't you, in so, in so many words, like, you know, you have plenty of money. Oh, We're I trying to make like, a living. I said, yeah, I said, yeah, something to the effect of Conan and I have children. Uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah, and I thought it was great because, like, I, it's so rare on television where the, in the world we live in now because of technology and because of, of how much attention is paid to behind the scenes, you know, everybody, everything is a fucking soap opera. And the entire country was watching this thing. Yeah. Jay was like this villain, you know, in the culture. Well, it was, you know, and there's a lot more backstory as far as all that stuff goes. And I know a lot of people thought I was out of line. I mean, I say a lot of people really, you know, us, you know, we're comedians. We have this, you know, kind right. of, you know, we like right. sick things like that. But a lot of people thought that was not right. And, you know, people, people that I respect were like, well, that was not right. You were out of line to do that. Why? Uh, well, I, I don't really, I don't, I don't know. I don't agree with their argument, but yeah. I, you know, I think I was. I mean, I was, I was working here. There was a good chance Jay Leno was going to come to ABC. We'd had many, many conversations, and as soon as he decided to stay at NBC, those conversations were gone. And I felt kind of stupid because I realized then at that point, like, oh, I've been worked over here. I've been worked on for. So you know, there was a, he was going to be your lead in. He was going to be my lead in, and I had to, but. I it was my decision whether I was going because it, if he came to the network and I got pushed back a half hour I had the option to leave at twelve thirty and I had other options other places to right. go so I, you know he had to woo me because it wouldn't have necessarily looked good for him if he pushed me out you know and he didn't want any more of that because he's right so so you actually had there was politics going on that you were having conversations with and him I, and you know I'd reached the point where I was like you know what maybe this wouldn't be such a bad thing you know it's it's a comedy show the show's very popular you know as it stands we're following a news magazine show it's it's a tough transition for us and maybe it would be better maybe we would get bigger numbers if we're following the Tonight Show or you know whatever Jay, Jay Leno you know yeah. at that time and may, you know maybe this is something and Jay was being very nice to me and what did he take you to lunch or oh we you know we talk on the telephone and you know I saw really? him a couple of times yeah and you know I mean he called you know, during the strike I really was out of my mind I was you know spinning in circles mad about this and that and, yeah you know and, and whatever and he was he, he really gave me good advice he was he calmed me down he said just you know what just ignore it this will be over you know just kind of whatever and he did he gave me good advice and I appreciated it. And, and, you know, he's a smart guy. He yeah. is. And, and, uh, but then I just felt weird. Like afterwards, it was like once he decided to stay at NBC, I never heard from the guy. So, again. so what you're saying is that there was a real good chance that Jay Leno raped me. Yes. That's, yeah. Well, in, <laughs> yeah, in a business way. But, you know, he was jockeying for his old job back and he was using the ABC card to, to push them to give him the Tonight Show back. I felt that that was the case. Yeah. And, and so you felt used. Yes. And that, and that's what this is the fire, that's what fueled me. That's the fire that you entered the Tonight Show set with, or the Jay Leno show set. Exactly. With. I was actually on my set here, so they had a couple of producers here, and I told my staff, I was like, "Just everybody be calm. No matter what happens, just everybody be calm." Really? Okay? As everybody just because nobody knew like what I was up to, I and mean, no one had any idea. I was like, "Everybody just be cool, okay?" I We're got this. Do this. I'm going to walk out of here. I don't want anybody. I don't want anybody laughing. I don't want anything. Just and, and sure enough, like his, Jay Leno. His producers are there, and they were kind of like, "What just happened?" I, I think that might have been bad. And uh, I said, "Thanks, guys." And I I headed upstairs, and uh, I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> you know, it's like I felt like I'd been in a. Did a fist you watch fight. it? 
Oh, uh, yeah, I watched it, yeah. And it's painful to watch. I mean, it's painful even for me to watch. You know? Well, because, like, it was like watching, you know, you saw him taking the hits. And, 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 and like, because he, he's got a profile, he's looking at a screen, and every one of those things, you know, it's just like, boosh. And his audience is laughing it's, at him. He's laughing, and he's just sort of like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, you know. The most remarkable part was that he did not vary from the script. I mean, he stayed on script, and it was, that was very interesting to me because I remember being a kid and Jay Leno being one of my idols. And like, this guy is a really funny, you know, he'd go on Letterman. I, I assumed he and Dave were really good friends and, and this and that. And, you know, he's a great comic. And, you know, I was just like, wow, this is this is interesting. You could be so bound to your cue cards. Well, I think it was what else was he going to do? I mean, that was a political decision. I think it's he's not, capable of more than than he than well, I think even you, he thinks he is. I think he thought that you were going to play along. He has been, you know, a, a, I did too, but by question number 5, you know, it's like, no, all right. This is, but then he couldn't stop it. I mean, it was You it know was, what I would have done if I was him? I would have said after the second question I said, "All right, that's the 2 of 10. Good night everybody." <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back with whoever. He took every hit. And you know, yeah. I don't like cuz I don't know that he would think on his feet that, that as well. Uh, or or that deeply to think that you know that would martyr him in any way, or that you know he's just going to take the hit and, and and hope that you looked bad. I just think that he uh, you know he was not going to engage his anger. One of the strangest moments of my life was when he sat down for a one on one with Oprah and they discussed it and he said my name and and she clearly disapproved of what I had done. Really? Just, yeah, it was great. It well, was well, you did exactly what you've been you know wired to do from from radio. Yeah. You put it up the man's ass. And you let them deal with it. I mean, that that's you know, once the the uh, the, the the paradigm of power is, is shakable. I mean, all those people on that level, Oprah and the rest of them, are going to be like, "Who's this kid?" Yeah, well, you know, um, Queen Oprah did not approve, and there's nothing that delights me more than that. I mean, really, that's you know, that's why we started the Man Show is because my ex-wife was watching Oprah and getting mad at me for things I hadn't even done. She was like, and you guys are like, well, why are you lumping me in with these people you're watching on Oprah? And I got this kind of, I built up this hostility towards Oprah and her, her legion. And, uh, and that's really what made me think, you know, it would be great to have a show that's Count, that's the opposite of. So, have you, have you been watching the uh, the Oprah Network? And the uh, I have watched a bit of it. Yeah, I love watching Oprah's Life Class, where she where basically it's reruns, it's wraparounds like on Family Ties. When you know, and you remember the time Skippy came, but she acts like as if we're learning something from it. I don't know what's going on. Over All there, I can but... figure is they said, "Holy shit, this network is going in the toilet." We, Oprah, we need you on immediately. What can we do? <laughs> and we need Rosie O'Donnell. Like, I don't want to work more than eight minutes a day, so <laughs> you guys better figure something out. And they said, "Okay, you know what? You can sit there and comment on your fucking show <laughs> on your and, old shows. and your old shows and speak of them as if there's if there's some lesson to be learned from them, which there is not." <laughs> so okay, so Jay, so where are you at with Jay now? We're very, we're actually a date. We're very close now. No, we haven't spoken since that day. Was there a moment where you're like, I'm fucking doing this? Oh, yeah. The whole thing was like, just like the, I can't imagine was, the high. I was of it. so charged up. It's still on YouTube, actually. It seems like people, people keep putting it, it up. They, they must keep, ma- they must keep putting it up. Someone must keep putting it up. Yeah. And, um, but it was, it was thrilling. I will not lie. I mean, it was th- absolutely thrilling. And what, how do you feel about him now in, 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 the, in his show? And is there still a con- like, are you, I mean, I think he's still doing the same thing he's, he's always done, you know, and, and is he icing you out of guests? 
Um, no, I mean they can't really anymore. It's we're you know we, we're thing. established. We're you know we're that we get them after he does, but we get them right. And what and your struggle to keep uh, your segments off of the internet? How how did you did you? Well, I don't. I know we put them on the internet. No, I know you. I yeah. know you do now. But was there a concern on your part? Are you concerned with the future of television? Yeah, I mean there is no future of television. I mean there there there's not going to be a tel- there's not going to be television as we know it. Is everybody will have their own show and if you're lucky you'll make 2 million dollars, but nobody's ever going to make 35 million dollars like Leno does anymore. I mean it's never going to happen. But it's great, I think, because it just gives you so much more to choose from and there's, you know, I mean like I feel like for me if I was 20 years older and you know was this age when there was only uh, uh, you know, uh, Carson and Letterman and NBC. There were no other options for talk. Show. I mean, I wouldn't have a talk show if there weren't, if it hadn't been fragmented and splintered. Right. So, do you, are you, does it sadden you that the landscape is what it is? No, it doesn't. I think it's great because I think it, it gives people it, more creative people can, can right. have their own shows. You know. Right. I mean, just the fact that, I mean, you couldn't do this show on the radio like this. I yeah. mean, you know, you, you just couldn't, not, not in this way. No. And it's great. And, and you know, to be able to, like, make even, like, a little money at right. it is, is fantastic. So in the big picture, you think that that's a good thing, that, uh, that the dream of making, you know, $50 million to host a TV show and have a career of 40 years is, is diminishing? I mean, listen, you know, I don't know that anybody should ever make $50 million to do anything. You know, I'm happy that I've been able to make a living and yeah. to do very well. Right. But it also makes me happy that, I mean, you know, I've hired, I hire people, you know, I've seen people direct shorts on the internet and hired them as a director or you read somebody's Twitter feeds and you go, wow, this person's a very good writer. Yeah. And this is like, I mean, like Kelly Oxford is somebody who's, you know, she lives in Canada, in the middle of Canada. She's a housewife there. I mean, do you think anybody, nobody would ever no, know it's, it's pretty, about her? It's pretty amazing. And it's great because yeah. your talent is what people will see. Like the, the internet is so democratic. You know, if you make a video that is very funny, there's no, you know, everybody's got all this bullshit when they put a TV show on and it fails. Like, oh, they didn't promote me. They didn't do this. But now if you make a video that's funny, people are going to, people are going to see it. And, you know, and sometimes they're going to see it 30 million times. And then if you think it's really funny, you put it on your show and then, like, you know, everyone's yeah. going to see it. Yeah. So now you dated Sarah for a while. I did. Yeah. And you guys are all right. Yes, we're we're very. How the friendly. fuck do you do that, dude? I mean, how do you? Uh... you mean, stay friendly. Yeah. Well, I think it would be it would be hard not to stay friendly with Sarah. No, that's true. She's... But I mean, in general, like now now I'm making it about me. I just uh-huh. don't uh, don't know how to. Um, Was it a mutual breakup? Yeah. Oh. I mean, uh, it's you know it's it's weird for a while, but then you kind of like you know you, you remember why you were friends in the first place, you know. And, oh, interesting. That's yeah. an interesting approach because I usually generally in that period where it's weird for a while, I make things so much worse <laughs> <laughs> by being such a colossal asshole yeah. that the weirdness is not transcendable. Well, I've only had three relationships in my life oh, you know okay. i mean i, I yeah. dated um my my wife i we were married for almost 15 years yeah and then sarah and i went out for eight years and now my current girlfriend we've been going out for two and a half years or so and um so i don't you know i don't i haven't had that experience where 
you're running through and there's bad blood and disappointing yeah. people and yeah. I disappoint people in a in a slow <laughs> take your time murderous way yeah. and and the theater I mean what made you choose the the to do it old school like Ed Sullivan or like Letterman was this Letterman inspired you know it really wasn't wasn't my decision it really although wasn't. I was driving by one night because I live in Hollywood and I, I was driving by and I thought wow I know Disney owns the El Capitan Theater that'd be the greatest place to do the show and the next day I went in for a meeting and the guy who ran ABC at the time Lloyd Braun goes I have a great fucking idea for a location Hollywood Boulevard El Capitan Theater and I was like are you are you kidding I thought he was fucking with me yeah, I thought yeah, maybe yeah. I'd mentioned it to someone right and but no it was it was his idea to put it here wow and it's great because we have all these nuts outside the superhero people yeah, dressed yeah, yeah. as Hollywood Boulevard superheroes yeah. and a little sad out there but it's a fun sad yeah it's a it's great like, sad it's, it's like, like Vegas, Vegas. Yeah. it's exactly like <laughs> yeah. I feel very at home here well it was great talking to you Jimmy thank you it's great talking to you too is it over already what do you want yeah. to talk more no no I just it went by want, very fast you want to go through the grudge list uh, the, the grudge list are people that you wouldn't even know it probably wouldn't be that interesting all right yeah uh, we could do um Hey, let's jerk each other off. Okay, can we turn the recorder off? Yeah, let's turn the recorder off. Oh, this is great. Okay, that was Jimmy Kimmel. Good talk. Uh, I will be on his show tonight if you're listening to this on Monday morning before the Jimmy Kimmel show. Look, I told you about Sketchfest. If you want more of my calendar and want to know if I'm coming to your area, go to WTFPod.com. Check the calendar. If you want to know who's been on the show, check the episode guides. If you want to read the blog thing, you can read it. There are comments there now. You can get on the mailing list. I mail out a thing every Sunday or every Monday morning. If you want to uh, get the app or listen to the show or go to iTunes or buy the uh, the premium episodes, all that's available there. You can do all of that stuff at WTFPod.com, and I encourage that you do it. Also, we got the Just Coffee going. Pow! Look out! Oh, it just shit my pants. I added a little something to that one. Huh? What do you think of that? Thanks for listening. Thank you for putting up with me. <laughs> <laughs>